0: This is the trust in the faith part, right? Do we believe as Christians that we have something that allows a life and a fulfillment that the rest of the world can't give? If you answer yes to that, then we have to believe that that person can't find that anywhere else in the world. And so we just keep waiting for them to come back to the Father's house. And then we're waiting with a banquet, with a robe for them with sandals for their feet and a ring on their finger.
1: Welcome to This Whole Life, a podcast for all of us seeking sanity and sanctity, and a place to find joy and meaning through the integration of faith and mental health. I'm Pat Millay, a Catholic speaker, musician, and leader, and I'm happy to bring you this podcast along with my bride, Kenna a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is the stuff she and I talk about all the time, doing dishes in the car, on a date. We're excited to bring you this podcast for educational purposes. It's not therapy or a substitute for mental health care. So come on in, have a seat at our dining room table and join the conversation with us. We are so glad you're here. Oh, I'm- Welcome back to This Whole Life, everyone. We are here with you. It is good to be here with you for another great episode of joy and faith and God willing living some wholeness in our minds and bodies and souls. And uh, this is a, a, an exciting opportunity to follow up on the topic of free will. Last episode, we talked about the great gift that the Lord has given each of us in our own free will. Um, the the fact that the only reason that we're able to love in the first place is because God has given us His great gift of free will and how we exercise that will determine our happiness and our joy because we'll be connected to God or not. So today we're going to move into what it means to be in relationship with others In the midst of human free will, all of all the complexity and all the challenges that come from that, we're here again with our good friend Father Nathan Liberte. He was here for our first episode on free will and the self, and now we get to talk about free will and other people. Father, welcome. Good to be with you.
0: It is wonderful to be with you, and thanks for the tag team. Uh, I got kind of first, and now I'm going with you and. It's just a pleasure to work side-by-side with you.
1: Kenna was annoyed that I got to have all the fun conversations with you. So uh, she wanted to jump in for the first Free Will one. She held her own. She held her own very well. She has the freedom to desire those things. That's fine. No problem. (laughs) Uh, Well, again, welcome back, friends. Uh, If you didn't catch the first episode on Free Will and the Authentic Self, feel free to to go back for a moment and listen to that episode. Otherwise, this episode certainly has some good standalone um, value on its own as well. Before we get into that, though, uh, let's kick it off with our highs and hards like usual. Father, do you want to start us off again?
0: I'd be honored. So my high for this week is there was um, someone from my parish uh, who passed away and it was just a very beautiful volunteer and um, just did a lot for the the gardening space, um, kind of sacramental stuff around like, you know, in the backgrounds with uh, sacristaning and Uh, helping with communion and things like this and involved with our front desk. So like all these kind of variables. And it was just, it's been um, amazing to hear other parishioners speak about her. Um, And so I I think for me, the reason why it's a high uh, is I I just, I see kind of the ownership of the family aspect that my parishioners have entered into is they feel like they have lost a family member. And I I just... Mm. Even though that's that's it's sorrowful in her passing, it's also just it was so beautiful for me to see how familial the the parish has become, and that that just did my pastor's heart very good. Yeah, um, to see. Yeah, that. absolutely. Um, I would say my hard. Um, and again, this is part of the familial aspect of the parish life. Um, I I am a terrible sleeper. Um, I do not sleep well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have tried every trick in the book. But if you casually mention to someone that you didn't sleep well, they got the remedy. <laughs> they got the remedy, mm-hmm. yep. and yep. it's it's hard because I mean I I want to receive their remedies um, because they just want to try to help alleviate uh, the pain of not sleeping. But I, I've tried everything, like you yeah. you name it, yeah. uh, I've got it. Both in my pharmaceutical cabinet, as well as my alternative medicine cabinet, as well as my breathing—I mean, literally everything—and like it's just—it's painful because you want to kind of say, like, "Yeah, I'm just a little tired, I'm a little foggy." Sorry about that. But then the hard part is—is them wanting to offer a solution and for you having to kind of say, "Thank you very much." I just thank you very much. Yep, yep, exactly.
1: (laughs) Oh, that is hard to to take suggestions and feedback and opinions and, um, how to receive those kindly and charitably and not directly say, I've tried that seven times and it hasn't <laughs> worked, but <laughs> thank you for your input. You know, <laughs> I know. And, it's,
0: and again, it, it it speaks so much to the beautiful heart, right? As they see someone suffering, they want to resolve it. But, um,
1: yeah, I've just got issues. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> As someone who literally my, I have problems sleeping, but my problem is that I can fall asleep anywhere, anytime for any amount of time. So I, I, I really kind of has some kind of sleeping difficulties as well. And I, my heart goes out to people like you because I have the issue of falling asleep, reading my children's stories at three in the afternoon, <laughs> but I do not have a problem sleeping at night. So I just, I I can't imagine how hard that is. I just need uh, to
0: breathe in a little of that air. Can you share that charism with me? Absolutely. <laughs> right. The spiritual gift. Yeah. <laughs> how about yourself, brother?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think, um my heart lately has been um, just coming to terms with being a homeowner, which is a beautiful gift. And it's a gift that so few people in our world have the advantage of, right? Of having, first of all, the means that we have in this country, just in general, but the idea of owning your home so that you don't dump money into rent for 30 years and then move and have nothing to show for it. So the idea of having things like equity and boring stuff like financial security like that. That's a great gift. But we live in a hundred year old home, which means she's just she's seen better days. You know what I'm saying? So it's just it's like the normal boring grown up stuff of like dealing with little problems when they arise. And, you know, if if the toilets backed up or if the ceiling has cracks now, things like that. So it's a minor hard and it's such a, a privilege to even live in a home and have safe, fair housing in general that i feel bad acknowledging that it's hard but it is and maybe it's more about me than the house i'm not sure So
0: i'm not a homeowner but i've heard from every homeowner that it's hard okay great all right <laughs> so, so maybe i'm not the yeah, only one you have okay. a
1: very sympathetic audience right now <laughs> yeah my high is um i guess i'll preface by saying that I, I you know i feel like switching it up a little bit and doing something a little bit less important and crucial mostly because uh you know, my high every episode could be something to do with my bride and my children. So this time around, I'm going to be a little more superficial. Uh, we're in a really fun season in the old Marvel cinematic universe that you and I are so familiar with father. And, uh, I got to go see the new Ant-Man movie Quantumania, with some friends uh, a few weeks ago. And it was fun to just like relax and watch some, uh, superhero fighting that I always appreciate and not everyone does, but I certainly do. And, uh, you and I father have some, uh, plans to go see the final guardians of the galaxy movie when it comes out in a few months here. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a minor, but definitely present high.
0: I will offer you Kenna's eye roll.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to, it's fine. You and she can keep those to yourself. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so getting into this, this episode of free will and how free will is expressed in our relationships, um, I think it's it, it's helpful maybe to just kind of set the stage for, for any of us out there who have ever had a St. Monica type experience in our lives. Um, St. Monica, famously the mother of St. Augustine, who went through years and years and years of heartbreak and sorrow and grief, watching her son Augustine wander far from God, far from the church and making terribly immoral and harmful decisions for his own well-being and for his relationships. And maybe you out there have had that experience. You know, maybe you're like St. Monica and you have a child who has wandered from the church and maybe it has been years and years of prayer and tears and fasting and difficult conversations, or maybe it's something that's a little more recent, maybe just in the past few months or even weeks, um, there's someone that you love and care about who Uh, who has wandered in any sense of the word, and you have real worries about them, worries about the decisions they're making in their lives, uh, worries about their actions, their priorities, concerns about the relationship with God or the church, um, worrying about how they seem to just be reckless and maybe kind of uh, not very intentional, maybe not living an authentic, healthy human life. So, in a sense, you know, we could say that this episode is for everyone who has ever watched another person use their free will mm-hmm. ever, because yeah. <laughs> when we're surrounded by sinners like us, we will always find distress in watching other people struggle when they don't use that free will in a healthy way. Um, I've been in places like that. I've been in that place of tossing and turning and worrying about other people's souls and their well-being and their hearts. It's miserable. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really hard to go through. It's, it's easy to feel so powerless and helpless and trapped. Um, and it leads to lots of feelings of anxiety and fear. Um, you know, I, in uh, a lot of the the ministry that I've done in my life in youth ministry, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had parents come to me with their concerns about their children's choices yes. as they grow, as they develop, as they become confirmed and then launch from the home and go, go into adulthood, um, how they just want so badly to... Maybe not force, but convince in the perfect way for their children to have the faith that they want to give them or they wanted to give them, um... You know, and in, in my own smaller and less dramatic way, there were lots of ways that my free will in college did not match the ways that I was raised. Um, mm-hmm. There were lots of ways that I wandered. I never wandered really far from the church, but I certainly wandered in lots of relational ways from my family of origin, lots of uh, morality ways from what I I professed I believed as a Catholic. Um so we usually want to cherish and protect our own free will, and we're very protective of that, sometimes too much so. Um, but we can really feel comfortable sometimes overstepping the free will of others.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's hard. And I, I think that as you articulated with your youth ministry, I think that's where you see it a lot is parents really concerned and they'll, they'll ask themselves this question, right? What did I do wrong? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Or, or they'll point, right, is well. I sent them to Catholic school, right? Or like, I mean, there wants to be a blame of if we would have had this piece differently, we would have got a different outcome, and that 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 actually is not always true. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a perfect scenario, and something just moves a different direction. And this is, this is the nature of free will that is very difficult to work with is it creates things that you cannot control and to accept that reality. I mean, that that's that there's a grief to that. Um, I think that they, there's a stat that says something like if parents lose a child, the divorce rate escalates exponentially. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is right is because there's this perpetual pointing of blame Oh, wow. If, if you would have done this differently, if this would have happened differently and they can't even talk about it anymore. And it's all these things because if blame can just be secured, then I can resolve the issue. But when blame can't be like, it was the hospital that did it. It was, you know, this neighbor that did, it was this thing that did it. And until the blame can settle, it's too painful to be in. Mm. And, and this is just the reality of like when we're watching people exercise their free will It is painful. And yet we we have to enter into it and know that we're going to get wounded. Um, This is where we see even with our Lord, right, is he's looking over Jerusalem and he's saying, oh, how I long to bring you as a hen brings its little chicklings under Mm -hmm, its wing. mm -hmm. And yet you would not listen. And Mm. this is one of the pains, right, of the heart of Christ, both during the passion when he's like in his agony and he's sweating blood. I mean, let's let's, let's get real, right? Like Jesus wasn't selfish, right? No no sin in him. So he wasn't like, I'm going to suffer and it's going to hurt. That wasn't what was making him sweat blood. It's all of these people are going to reject the gift of love that I gave. And Mm. I came that they may have life, that they may have love, that they may know freedom. They're not going to use their free will well. Mm. Mm. And he sweat blood profusely in that suffering. And- we really feel that as we watch people use their free will inappropriately.
1: Yeah, I think it's such a, a a really beautiful and difficult example that you bring up, Father, about a parent saying to themselves, you know, if, if only this would have been different, mm-hmm. then my child would have been um, faithful or, or or had good moral actions, successful, or successful, right, safe, right. And I think about for a lot of us um, who are really genuinely intensely trying to be good, prayerful, faithful parents. Um, We hear it a lot of times in Catholic circles, you know, my one job is to get my children to heaven, you know, which has a lot of truth in it. Obviously, that's one of the beautiful priorities, one of the beautiful responsibilities of parenthood. But sometimes in that can be this seed of falsehood, which is if my child doesn't go to heaven, it's my fault. I have done something wrong because they use their free will in a way that is not in accordance with their identity. And man, there is so much shame and guilt and anxiety and depression that can come from that. If we take the weight of that burden on our shoulders as parents or friends or sons and daughters, whatever that relationship is, that is not... A burden that ought to be on our shoulders, because that already is a violation of that person's free will, right? Yes. Um, I think about the the stark example for me always is Judas. You know, mm-hmm. what could have been better for Judas? He was in kind of an ideal situation. You know, he walked with our Lord for three years. He saw everything that the other apostles saw. He saw the the miracles. He saw the walking on water. He heard the parables. He saw Lazarus rise from the dead, and that person out of his own free will, made the decisions that he did, you know? Yes. Um, It's not about perfect circumstances.
0: No, it's not. And I I mean, I think that it goes down to a lot of blame as well. I mean, blame's got to settle on something. And I I had a a, a brother in my seminary um, class that he he always would say, um, when I'm trying to explain sin, I just simply say concupiscence. (laughs) Yeah. Because I mean that that's really what 's to blame when human weakness doesn't work well uh it's 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 a wounding of the will, mm. and sin never makes sense, and so this is where the blame game never ends because it doesn't make logical sense right and when we're talking about free will and allowing people to exercise their free will, I mean there's certain things like we, we where you do have to step in right if it's going to hurt um someone in particular, right, if, if someone's going to do a malicious act, we'd want to step in and assist that 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 would not happen. Um, but sometimes, right, even if it's in regards to a person making bad choices, which is going to, we know long-term it's going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are some times where, and this is what, in the addiction world, right, in 12 Steps, is you say someone cannot get sober until they hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the most painful things for anyone to watch a loved one go through the thralls of addiction and know I can't stop this. Because if I try to create a situation where the person doesn't hit rock bottom, it just defers the rock bottom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the the key is you got to get the person to define what is rock bottom so that they can like level out where they're at rather than dig the hole even more, like take the shovel away. (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) But like sometimes... Sobriety, recovery, dare i dare even say sanctification happens through people's inappropriate use of free will until they realize I'm not going to do this anymore. And force and fear does not get them to that place any mm-hmm. faster.
1: And you see that in the, the parable of the prodigal son that, that we referenced in our prior episode about free will and the self. Um, you know, that story, the, the very first lines that Jesus says from Luke chapter 15 are a man had two sons and the younger son said to his father, father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. And the next line is, so the father divided the property between them, right? Um, the father doesn't argue. He doesn't try to change his mind. He doesn't say, now here's what you should do with your money to be healthy and happy. Um, he gives his son the Maybe irrational gift of the exercise of his own free will. Um, it's this radically respectful love that the father has for the free will of his son. and um, you know to to what extent are we called to reflect that love? There are obvious human circumstances that you brought up where it's important for someone's health and well-being to step in. but um, how can we reverence other people's free will in difficult circumstances like that?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really hard thing. And I mean, I, I think we have an instinct in our humanness to want to have like a rule that we can apply, like as if it, human beings are like mathematics. Mm, sure. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's always going to be two plus two equals four. Like, that's just that's just how it works. And mm-hmm. you know, like it's this, then this, then this. But with humanity, it's so complicated. Um, and there's so many pieces like, and I, I've... I've come to learn this in doing direction and hearing confessions is like people's lives are incredibly complicated mm-hmm. and why they make the decisions they make are incredibly complicated. Um, I, I remember meeting with someone and like I was hearing the choices that they were making. I'm like, what is going on? Like this makes no ra- like incredibly competent, educated person. Like what is happening that they're making these terrible choices? Family of trauma.
1: Mm, like
0: yeah. Horrific horrific trauma in their parent past. I mean, like if you've ever read the book, a child called it, like Mm. it could have been part two to that. Like it's just horrible tragedy. But this, this is where I I kind of realized like, okay, so a lot of the bad choices you're making have nothing to do about now.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And so when I'm looking at someone's free will and like, why are you making those choices? Like, I got to get you to stop making those choices. I've got to intervene. Part of it is saying, okay, no, 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 no. Like, that, that's not going to help anything. I can tell you, shake my finger at you, you know, try to actually ina- enable things by like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll give you all this money and all these resources and things like this. But at the end of the day, until they work through this stuff in their past, they're not going to be truly free in the present. And w- what can you do to make that happen? hmm
1: Which calls to mind a lot of the ways that it's so important for us to have this beautiful integration of our human person, all the parts of our human person, which is one of the core principles of this whole podcast, you know, the the integration of mental health and faith, sanity and sanctity, because if if my mind is not in a healthy place. I am not as free as God desires for me to be. Mm -hmm. So we think of this, the the really easy example is substance abuse, like Mm -hmm. like you brought up. Um, If if I'm in the throes of addiction of a substance, there are many of my actions that will not be fully under my freedom. They will not be fully under my control. Um, That doesn't mean that those actions are good. Right, and it doesn't mean that, uh, and they're not I, excusable. Correct, and not excusable, right? But it does mean that it's it's important for us as human beings to help create an environment where people can truly exercise their yeah. freedom. Um, if someone is suffering from major depressive disorder, something yeah, like that, right. their their thoughts, their actions, their words may not be completely under their control. They may be controlled, at least in some some percentage, by the chemicals in their brain. So again, it's important for us to to help people restore a good, healthy sense of mind, body, and spirit by seeking out therapy and medication and medical assistance when they need it so that they can be as free as God created them to be. Yeah, and then
0: let's just be very, very clear. Again, there is no one size fits all. Right. I have been working with addicts for over eleven years and no one's recovery program has been the same. Mm. Maybe they've many of them have used the 12 steps. That's awesome. You know, like Bill W rock on, man, he was totally inspired by the Holy Spirit. He he wrote the the big book for right. alcoholics. Right. But uh there no no one's stories are the same. And and part of it is there's so many variables. And so we have to calibrate to say, okay, here is a particular person. How do I help them? To support them to re-engage their free will to choose the good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Pat, I mean, you've you got to experience this on a regular basis. I mean, you have, you have many minions under you, your children, right? <laughs> I mean, like, what is it like as you start to see them exercising their free will and there you are? Like... Yeah.
1: It's terrifying. <laughs> I There are many times as a father that it's been a great gift to me to get just the smallest, tiny little glimpse of how God the Father sees us. Because there's so many ways that as our children get older, they're starting to come into their own experience of really using their free will. They're not two or three anymore. They really do have a little bit more volition and they have a little bit more choice over how their day goes, how they react to things. Um, But one of the beautiful things that I've seen is what happens when I have the terrifying courage to extend free will and and the true freedom in that sense to our children. I'm thinking of... One of our sons who a few weeks ago um, declared that he didn't want to go to uh, flag football one afternoon. Now, he loves flag football. He is obsessed. He talks about it all the time. It's almost his favorite thing in the world. But just one day out of the blue, he said, I don't want to go to football. Do I have to go to football? And my instinct was... Yes, you have to go to football <laughs> because I'm going through the, right, the litany of parent lines that were told implicitly, which is, it's about dedication to your team. We signed up for this. You have to follow through on your commitments. All of these, like, those are, those are fine. Those are good things. But that was just my reflex talking, right? Yeah. So I had to take a step back and I had to think to myself, okay, this is like seven-year-old flag football. If you miss a practice, no one cares. It's mm-hmm. fine. So that's not what I told him, though. What I told him was... Um, you no, know, I, you know, I suppose you don't have to go, but I do think that your team's probably counting on you. And I think that you'd probably enjoy it, but you always have the right to choose. You have the ability to choose. Um, and he, he kind of sat with that. He said, okay, all right. I don't think I'm going to go. And then literally no conversation two minutes later, of course he comes back and says, Hey, I'm I'm going to go to football. Yeah. Right. Cause he just, he needed, the exercise of freedom. Yep. To he, own it. He needed the gift of being able to make the choice for himself. That is a beautiful example. And for every example of that, there's probably nine that I do terribly wrong. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll celebrate the one that was a success. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but The, the one can you didn't mess up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My prayer though, is that 10 years from now, when he asks me, um, do I have to go to church? That some part of me is going to harken back to this moment and it's going to say, you know, I, I think it's really important that you do. And I think you'll, you'll be better off if you do. But no, you don't have to go. Mm-hmm. Because the, the beautiful trick in this is that faith is free or it's not faith at all. That's right. Right. Um, I was looking through, um, you know, like I do in my free time, I was looking at church documents. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got to get you all, buddy. a little Catholic nerd. It's okay. It's either church documents or Marvel these days, but that's okay. <laughs> but there's this document life. by uh, Pope Paul VI that I wasn't really familiar with before called Dignitatis Humanae, right? Human Dignity. And uh, some of the snippets of that when, w- that he wrote were, it is one of the major tenets of Catholic doctrine. That man's response to God in faith must be free. No one, therefore, is to be forced to embrace the Christian faith against his own will. And he goes on to say the act of faith is, of its very nature, a free act. So it's, therefore, completely in accord with the nature of faith that in matters religious, every manner of coercion on the part of men should be excluded. And I think about this in two very different scenarios, right? I've thought about this actually in cases of martyrdom at times where people have been threatened with their very lives to apostatize and to give up on the faith, a right? Silence by Endo Suzako. Exactly. Yep. So in Asia and in Mexico in the 1920s and just all over the world, all, all different times and places, people have been threatened with their very lives, right? Either you can have everything this world has to offer and all you have to do is step on this little shape of a cross. You don't even have to believe in your heart that you're giving up on Jesus. Just make the little meaningless motion, right? Or- Will literally kill you, right? Those are the two options. And as horrible as those circumstances are, the beautiful nugget there is that literally no one can force you to apostatize. Yes. They can threaten your life, but they cannot climb inside your heart and force you to give up on Jesus. Mm-hmm. So there's that beautiful gift of free will that is eternal and no one can take away. The more immediate relevance for us probably is the fact that. We cannot coerce faith into anyone that we love, as hard as that is. We can certainly have loving conversations. We can even have really difficult emotional conversations sometimes, all in love and all in truth, but we cannot implant our faith into someone else. And if we could, that wouldn't even be faith, right?
0: And let me just give you this. This is an analogy that they use in my moral theology class of Mm. the citadel. And they said that the the human person is like a citadel or a tower and they're inside. So you can think of like Rapunzel, all right? And no one gets in, no one gets out without you letting it. Hmm. And so like, this is the whole thing is like, faith is to be presented to say, do you want to open up your drawbridge to allow it to come in? Hmm. And there's this famous painting. It's from a, it's, it's in the, um. gosh, I think it's in Edinburgh or Glasgow. It's in Scotland, but it has Christ with a lantern. And he's knocking on a door to get in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's no handle on the outside of the door. Right, right. And so he's waiting to be let in, and and, and you don't see like it's not like Christ in Rambo boots, uh, who is like I'm gonna pun- I'm gonna punch through this door yeah, and come yeah. in. Like God, God doesn't do this. Like again, going back to Jesus lamenting on the Mount of Olives the people that won't convert. Like he could have literally just like turned them into zombies and they had to follow him. Right. But he says, follow me. And some of them went away. Mm -hmm. Some of them came after and some of them came after and then fell away. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, so here's the Lord who's not shoving faith down, but he's making it appealing. And he'll say things like those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see. Right. And what he's talking about is if you recognize the value of what is here, you're going to want to bring it in. So even with your example of your son, right, is... He, at some point when he went back to reflect on, should I go to football or not? He reflected on, I actually have a choice. And he's like, yeah, I, I want to go. Like there was some value that rose him up to choose the good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that that actually, that, that is a possibility. It doesn't always happen that way. But I think with, with faith in particular, when we're trying to, especially educate our kids, like there, there's a certain level, like, again, as they age, how much free will you allow someone changes, right? Right. So, right like, absolutely. I'm not gonna let my five year old pick his diet.
1: Correct. All right. Like that's not that's not
0: <laughs> happening. Like marshmallow mates every night, every morning, every <laughs> afternoon. That is not good. Like that's yeah. Whereas like if they're in college and that's all they're eating, you just say, "Dude, I, I this isn't gonna help you." Like mm-hmm. the reason why you're slothful is because you ain't getting protein.
1: Yeah. Like right.
0: And and that's that's part of the education process and then they get to own the consequences of their choices. Yeah. But I mean th- this is this is the profound love that we are called to have for one another. Um can I can I just tangential it? Oh, of course, yeah. So there, there's a passage that I often will hear people will implore of why they have to correct everyone's faults, hmm. right? And like, oh, I saw someone sinning, I've got to tell them that it's wrong, and I've got to help them fix it. It's that Ezekiel passage, right, If of the watchman. If you see someone doing wrong and you do not correct them, then you're liable for the sin because you did not correct them.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: And I think I think part of where this gets misapplied, right, is... Ezekiel is talking to the prophets of the nations, not the general populace, hmm. those who have been entrusted with the office of prophecy. And he's telling them like if God speaks to you correct that person, you must correct them. Gotcha. It's not a matter of saying like if you ever observe anyone making any wrong, you have to fix them or you're going to hell for it. <laughs> that that is not the application of the of the passage. But like we love we love to pick and choose it. And this is like where I like to show the ad absurdum. Is so, okay, if if you want to put the literal interpretation, everyone's charged to correct everybody's faults, then, you know, next time someone misstocks something at Target, you get down their throat and you tell them, <laughs> you put that in the right spot, someone's going to get charged the wrong amount for it, and that's on you. Well, you're not doing that. Right. You're not attentive to that. Well, why aren't you caring
1: about it? Because clearly that person's soul is in jeopardy. It's like, no, that's absurd. Like, My first thought was the literal application of that means that I have a lot of direct messages to send on Instagram to celebrities that I see out in the exactly. world. Right? And the problem, though, is that a lot of people have a lot of things to say to me, too, if that's, that's exactly a right. literal application.
0: Right. And so this is where it's so important to follow. I mean, again, it's not mathematical. It is personable. So with every situation, as difficult as it is, we have to say, Lord, how am I to respond? And if it's like, oh, well, they're living an immoral lifestyle, so I must respond this way. Uh, okay, that that's great. But how about we say what's going on in those people's lives and what is going to be the way that I get them to lower their drawbridge to let the Lord come in? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not going to be hitting them with a truth mallet in the, between their eyes. Right.
1: So the difference between approaching the citadel of their hearts with a battering ram versus coming with a peace offering and trying to enter in a way that makes it way more easy for them to hear what I have to say in the first right. place.
0: Yeah, we're not we're not trying to conquer and destroy them mm. and force them into subjection. Like which is ironic, right? Yeah. Cuz yeah. we're looking at their life and saying you're a slave to sin and then we say no i'm going to make you a slave of me mm. and my preferences and opinions and perspective right right what well, what it is is to show it so appealing and like this is this is the trust and the faith part right do we believe as christians that we have something that allows a life and a fulfillment that the rest of the world can't give if you answer yes to that then we have to believe that that person can't find that anywhere else in the world right and so we just keep waiting for them to come back to the father's house. And then we're waiting with a banquet, with a robe for them, with sandals for their feet and a ring on their finger. And we're saying, this has been prepared for you. I'm not punishing you. No, I'm not shaming you. I'm not belittling you. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting for you. And we celebrate. And I, I, I think that that is, it's so counterintuitive That this is why that parable always strikes us to the heart is it doesn't jive with normal life. Right. And gosh, I mean, I I know even with myself, right? I have expectations of how I thought certain people would behave Mm. or act and they don't. And the more that I hold firm on the expectations, the more disdain I have for them. Mm. Yeah. There's no love. And I can say, oh, I love them and I wish them to heaven and I wish them to get better and out of their sin. No, actually, I'm just feeling a lot of disappointment. Hmm. So what happens if I let go of those expectations and just say, oh, my gosh, person? who has a mother, who has a father, who had dreams, who had aspirations. Uh, this person who has maybe had hard things and no one's loved them through the hard things. This person who may have no goals in their life right now, this person who may have lost everything. Gosh, I love you. (laughs) Like that is a transformative message that the world can't give, but we are called to give it as Christians.
1: And is that kind of where, because, um, One of the spiritual works of mercy, right, is to admonish the sinner, is to help someone who has strayed from the truth to which they were called to bring them back to the truth for their own well-being. Not to say I told you so, like like this twisted version of the father and the prodigal son Mm -hmm. story, but to genuinely out of love for them to point out ways that they could find greater fulfillment. Um, How do we do that in a loving, charitable way? and still give room for them to have expressions of free will in the way that is just inherent to their person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I get that question actually a lot from, um, you know, parishioners. And I think one of the things that we just kind of have to contemplate is the fact that in our modern digital age, um, a lot of people know what the church teaches on particular things. Right. Um, and so, it's not a surprise if you say to someone, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't be contracepting um, or you shouldn't be living with your, you know, boyfriend or partner. Yeah. Uh, y- y- they they know that. Right. Like they're very well aware of that. Um, and they don't care. Like that's the problem. They don't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they don't see the value in doing something that the church is suggesting because it's an outdated organization, you know, if you ask them. Yeah. Right. And so I think when when you're looking at how does it look to admonish the sinner, or instruct the ignorant, um, I think it's just a matter of presenting to say. And I, I just find asking questions is so helpful. Yeah. Like why why do you find it valuable to live um, with your partner or live with your you know girlfriend boyfriend? Like why why do you find that as a benefit? You listen to what they say, and then you go, okay, that's interesting. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Have you found that to be the case?
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, what do you think it would be like if you didn't? Like, what would be the things that you lost? Like, just to help them think through it. Because see, the problem is, is sin is irrational.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
0: again, going back, if we believe that the church has the truth, <laughs> then right reason prevails. Yeah. And when someone is in an immoral lifestyle or making poor choices, it's because they haven't thought through it. Mm-hmm. So what is what does the prodigal son say when he has nothing left and he's looking at longing for the... Uh, slop that the pigs is eating, he he begins to have right reason. My father's servants are treated better than I am. I'm going to go back and be a servant. Right, right. So as he has right reason, he returns. Mm-hmm. But until that moment, he was not thinking clearly. Mm-hmm. And so this is where when we're instructing the ignorant or admonishing the sinners, part of the difficult work is having a conversation, not about saying, truth bomb, you deal with it like suckers. <laughs> like, it's to say okay let me let me understand why you're doing what you're doing and help think through it.
1: Right. To to extend the love that the church has for them to be an authentic witness of the church in that moment or in that lifestyle or that circumstance or that desire whatever it is to to speak into those moments. I can't tell you how true it is in my ministry that I've done in in relationships that I've had that people are very well aware of the things that the Catholic church says are immoral but they are not aware of the love that Christ has for them specifically in the Catholic church, mm-hmm. right? So they're not aware of the grace that they're missing out in the sacraments. They're not aware of what benefits they get from being connected to the body of Christ. So if part of admonishing the sinner is telling the truth about those aspects of the church, there may be a lot of fruit to be gained from doing those things well, you know? Um, and really just, I think, being patient and... um entrusting them to the care of our Lord.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Prayer intercept, like you had mentioned St. Monica at the mm-hmm. beginning, mm-hmm. You, you cannot underestimate. I mean, so every time you're praying for someone and they're not converting, it's like, if you can imagine like this water balloon of grace above their head and it just keeps filling. And at that moment, when that pin pricks the balloon, all of those graces that have been stored up, just rush upon that soul. Mm-hmm. So even if you're praying and praying and, and nothing seems to be happening at some moment, and maybe it's in their death right is like as they're transitioning boom all of those graces explode and they transform and give their life to Christ i mean like there's so many stories of saints who have encountered souls who have passed who have had that experience wow wow um so so one of the things that it's actually really helped me in my own ministry is there's that there's that very short quip is jesus warns beware of the people who tie up heavy burdens mm-hmm. and do not lift a finger to carry it yeah And I remember actually, there was a priest who said, um, be careful how you use the pulpit because it's not a time for dialogue. It's a time for instruction. Mm. So if you're dropping truth bombs from the pulpit, realize that if people are struggling, they can't ask any questions. Interesting. They can't ask for clarification. So they walk out. And so sometimes, right? Priests will have like this badge of honor of like, well, I preached this hard sermon on this thing and I got so many people that walked out. Yeah, because they couldn't talk about it. Mm. Like they had questions, they had life experiences that they wanted a dialogue on, and you just truth bombed and you felt dang good. You fell asleep at night and you go, badge of honor, I preach that hard truth, and they've got to deal with it now. They know the truth, they wrestle with it. How is that not literally tying up heavy burdens and not lifting a finger? Mm. So it is really hard. To go into someone's life and say, okay, I've got these five situations. I don't see how the church's teaching applies. Help me walk through it. Or I don't even want to hear how the church applies. Here's these five situations and they speak louder than the church's teaching. Right, right. And so now I've got to do the difficult work, which makes me scared as all get up, right? What if I don't have answers for it? What if they stump me with something?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: What What if they bring up a nuance that I haven't thought through? So it is so much easier to just lob a truth bomb and walk away and say, no, you deal with it. It is way more challenging to get into the nitty gritty and try to help them work
1: through it. So what I hear you saying is, is that it's important for us to avoid these two, uh, dangerous extremes on one hand, just, (laughs) you know, maybe not from the pulpit for most of us who are not given the gift of religious life, but, um, uh, just firing off a text message of truth to our sibling that's Post living. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or yeah, or just yeah, just tweeting aggressively about every moral issue that we see people, you know, not living in accordance with out in the world, things like that. So there's that extreme of just uncontextualized truth, which can unfortunately just be truth without love, essentially. Or the other extreme, which is avoiding all truth whatsoever, Mm -hmm. of not saying anything that's connected to things that will really make people find fulfillment and peace in this life and the next. So what we're left with in the middle is the really difficult thing of doing what Pope Francis says and getting into the muck of people's real experiences, of having genuine, authentic relationships with people and saying... I have found the beauty that comes from living a life with Christ in, in every iota of the fullness of truth that the Catholic church proclaims. Tell me about you. Tell me about your life. What, what are your dreams? What are your disappointments? Why, why do you find the way that you're living to be fulfilling in a way that you can process and understand, um, everyone does what they do because they think it works for them. Right. But getting into that tension is really difficult and it's hard to live in that place because it, like you said, it requires so much trust. I have to abandon the illusion of control. If I'm going to get into someone's life and try to force them to see things the way I do. And that's, it's truly an illusion. I, I, I had no control in the first place. I continue to have no control even over my own kids' lives, right? I can't control what they do or how they live for the rest of their lives. I can merely propose what the gospel has to offer, and I can trust in the one who is the author of life to be active in their life. So I bring them to the Holy Spirit, and I ask God to do what he has done from the beginning of time, and it's to care for people who have free will, right? Um It's just such a beautiful opportunity for all of us, I think, to look at the ways that we can entrust our loved ones to the Lord. Um, This episode is all about reorienting ourselves to the truth of where our boundaries are, where our fence is, where I end, and where the people around me begin, even the people that I love who have hurt me or who have wandered from the faith and are doing things that are hurting themselves. Because if we live in ignorance of those boundaries, if we live under that illusion of control, then we're not living in reality. You've brought up reality a number of times, Father. The The reality that the pieces of this puzzle are not going to fit together and all we're going to do is become more and more frustrated and anxious and even despairing as we watch the people that we love wander. So friends, just an invitation as we start to wrap up this episode to to reflect and to pray about what it would mean to truly place your loved ones into the crucified hands of Christ and to ask him to care for them in ways that we as human beings simply can't. Um, father, any closing thoughts before we wrap up here?
0: Brother preach it just beautiful. Beautiful.
1: (laughs) Just such a joy to reflect on this with you because this is
0: evangelization and, uh, when we look at a broken world, I mean, we are scared to dialogue with each other and we're very, very afraid of how people are going to respond and we're very afraid of not having the response. And I think that that's what keeps us isolated. So then we just surround ourselves with people that are just like us. This is not Christianity. right? Uh, we go out as lambs among wolves and sometimes we get massacred, but we do so in love for Christ. right? Um, and again, it's not that we get massacred because we're (laughs) bludgeoning people. And so then they retaliate. Right. (laughs) Um, but our pride definitely gets killed Mm -hmm. in -hmm. the process. So, but Mm. no, thank you, Pat. This has just been so helpful even for me just to kind of talk through. And it's just, it's such a pointed topic because all of us have experiences we can point to in our life. So thank you very much.
1: Praise God. It is such a, it's such a beautifully heavy burden that any people, any of us who are people of faith carry that, it's too easy to picture the metaphor where this person that I love who has left the church, they're tied up on a train track and the train is coming. And if I don't get them off the train track, they are doomed. And it's just, it's just too simple. Friends, we don't have that much control and we are not messiahs. Thanks be to God. <laughs> so for the challenge by choice for this episode, I think it's a great opportunity for each of us to think of someone that we have difficulty accepting as they are of seeing them in reality and of loving them in that reality. So maybe it's a coworker whose political opinions drive you up the wall and they're really loud about them. Um, Maybe it's one of your children whose faith experience or lack thereof really terrifies you. Um, Maybe it's just a neighbor who doesn't take care of their lawn and it drives you crazy and you are thinking of calling the city, you know, whatever it is. So think of that one person and bring them to the Lord in prayer. Maybe imagine sitting in front of God with that person and asking God to introduce you to that person, this person that God created with with his own plan, his own perfect vision, his own dreams and hopes of sharing his divine insights and observations about that person. And it's likely maybe in this conversation, in your imagination, that you're going to have some objections that pop up that you want to say, but, but Lord, you don't see this person like I do. And that's okay. Those objections can also be true. But right now you're focusing on what the Lord wants you to see about this person. So maybe take some time in prayer and just God, let God show and tell you all that he desires for this person that you struggle with. And when you get the sense that God is done, what if you prayed for his blessing upon that person? Not that they would change some particular action or not that they would immediately come back to confession or something like that, but merely for God's blessing to be on them for their well being. And finally, and this is super important notice how you feel after this time of prayer. Like, kind of talks about all the time pay attention to your body, your emotions, your thoughts. And maybe do all this in a period of journaling so that you can come back to it when other situations like this pop up. That's the invitation is to have this conversation with God so that we can see the people that we struggle with in the reality of their lives and to love them in the midst of that reality. Friends, it's such a great gift to be with you today. As always, we invite you to subscribe to this podcast, to share with your friends, to give it a rating and review, and to give us feedback so that we know what's on your mind and on your hearts. You can visit us at thiswholelifepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at thiswholelifepodcast, and also on Twitter at thiswholelife. Why don't we wrap up in prayer, friends, and then you can go to love and respect the free will of others.
0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift and time to reflect on the power of free will that you have entrusted to us. We ask for you to grant us the grace and the patience to hold others' free will, to pray and intercede for them. Please grant us the knowledge and wisdom to see as you see, to love as you love. For as you sold us through Julian of Norwich, God does not see sin, God sees pain. And as we look upon others who may uh, have wandered far from truth, let us have compassion for them in the midst of their pain. And may we be the light in the midst of their darkness. We ask all this through Christ our Lord.
1: Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful next couple of weeks, and we will see you next time on This Whole Life.
0: You're not alone.
1: This Whole Life is a production of the Martin Center for Integration. Visit us online at thiswholelifepodcast.com. Sounds good.
0: No, no. All right, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: my gosh. All right, here we go.